Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. They have four words for love. Storge, S-T-O-R-G-E, means affection, the sort of love there ought to be between their relations. Philia, P-H-I-L-I-A, means friendship. Eros, E-R-O-S, is of course the love between the sexes. And Agape, A-G-A-P-E, is love in the Christian sense, God's love for man and the Christian's love for the brethren. Four episodes, four loves. We are now to the fourth of these loves, which, as Lewis says, is agape, which we would pronounce agape. Uh, It is the love that Christ gives the Christian and that the Christian, as he says, gives to his brother or his sister. Um, I have the good Reverend Hayden Butler back to talk about this fourth and final of these loves. Uh, Hayden, when we when we jump into this love, it can feel like this is the one that everyone in Christian land talks about, knows even how to say, um, of the Greek words, and yet can also feel like the least distinct, the most squishy of all of them, because it seems to sort of mean anything or everything. Um, Lewis is so good at definitions, at, at illustrating, at bringing things down so that we can see them, so that we can hear them. He opens uh, this essay early on talking about love in general as he moves to agape by saying, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Mic drop all the things. <laughs> no one does it better. I, I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that he waits to the fourth love to say that, which you could put with any of them. You could put that with storge, with the, the familial or the familiar affection. Uh, you could put it with philia, the risks of opening your heart up to the love of a friend who could let you down, betray you, or turn out to not be the friend you had hoped for or imagined. Uh, you could certainly apply this to eros, and you could see how most people are very aware, uh, at least if they uh, have lived very long at all, of the risks of loving someone mm. that way, romantically and otherwise, that that is something that could very much break your heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but he waits until agape to describe the vulnerability of love as such mm. and to say, you know, you're either in for that vulnerability or you're going to need to shut that heart away and try to lock it up in something that won't affect it. And yet, as he describes, that will have its own dire consequences. Mm. Why do you think, when it comes to agape, the one in which you could just immediately, you know, as we were saying just a little bit before the recording, hallelujah chorus, like anthems, right? This is the unconditional love. Like everybody in Sunday school learns very quickly, this is unconditional love, this is perfect love, this is all the things. Why, why do you think he would wait until this last one to talk about this utter vulnerability of love? Well, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, I, I, have, I have a bunch of thoughts on, on that. <laughs> but, but one of them is that probably because I think Lewis, you know, likes to, um, r- he likes to riff off of things that he, f- he finds delightful and meaningful. And I, I've always kind of privately wondered whether or not he's, he's pulling a little bit of a kind of like a, a Plato trick here mm. where like the fourth 
item is the unifying thing that sort of is the um it, it, the fourth item in a in a in a sequence like with as with as with as plato does with the virtues mm-hmm. um he has three virtues and then the fourth virtue justice is sort of the 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 simultaneity or the 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 sort of the presence of all the virtues at once right it is the sum total of all virtue and i kind of wonder if if agape is not the fourth here because it it, it sort of fulfills a similar role that it is it is the life of God. It is the love that God has within God. Um, it is the it is the um, it is the mean what is sort of meant by humanity being created in the likeness of God, mm. um, so as to be capable of that love and to participate in that love. And it is the ultimately the destiny of all human beings properly to to share in that love it's what salvation is all about it's sort of the beginning and the end of all things is the love of god god creates out of love and god creates for the end of love and so i think you have this as this and and also you know sort of the revelation of that love in christ um, gives meaning to all the other loves and so I think you know he's he, he's he might be creating this thing where he's letting the other loves have their proper sort of natural place, and then hit us in the same way that humanity in history got hit mm. when they were it, when all of a sudden love meant something different because of how God revealed Himself to humanity in in the love that was revealed in Christ. Right, because as you say, those first three loves are a common experience of being a person mm-hmm. at any time, in any place. Um, you have those affections, mm-hmm. you have that, that uh, friendship or the desire for friendship, um, and then you have the erotic, um, always in play. Mm-hmm. Whereas this sort of erupts into human history in, in a unique way and in a sort of definitive way in the uh in the birth of christ and in the mission of christ the personality of christ the sacrifice of christ and the salvation that christ brings so in that way um as the the one that arrives late but makes sense of all the others Mm -hmm. right each takes its proper place it's sort of the 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 symphony of of the other instruments or the other sounds um of love then is that why you think he waits until he talks about this sort of divine love um, before talking about the extent of how it, love makes you vulnerable? Because that famous quote that I just read, or and and that probably others have heard before, you know, if you if you want to love, you know, if you don't want to be hurt, you know, lock away your heart and love nothing, right? And I, I'll hear that at, at weddings. I'll hear, you know, right. you have to be open to love, but that means risk and vulnerability. But that idea that each of the other three loves in some way is something I am doing or I am experiencing or intending or um, stirring up or, or whatever it might be, right. whereas something's different about agape um, in the way that it, not only the way it arrives in history, but in the way that it is brought to us or given to us. Is that right? I think yeah, we're being invited into into behold the highest mystery now, um, and that's going to like you know again Lewis is you know, he likes to riff off things that he likes. That's a very like sort of Dante thing, right? Uh, you you spend the whole Divine Comedy as we talked about in a previous podcast getting up to paradise where you're told all the answers <laughs> that then help you understand everything that's come before right. in a new way. Right. So you know I had one professor one t- one time tell me it might make sense sometime to do a reading of the Divine Comedy where you start with paradise and then read Inferno and Purgatorio. There you go. After that. <clears throat> I think you're sort of meant to read this last chapter and then go and reread the other three loves in light of it again, because, and, and that being a sort of fun sort of sto- like, like, you know, author technique that mm-hmm. you, that you could look at it as. But I, I do think that it's, it's revealing something that has to be revealed of all the loves in this book. Agape is, is something that must be revealed as a gift mm-hmm. that God makes to us. It is not something that is, discerned as it really is just through sort of speculative reasoning alone or doesn't through, arise from doesn't us arise or our from experience it is it is given to us as a revelation doesn't arise from our relationships mm-hmm. right which could be sort of appropriately gathered up in the previous right. three right mm-hmm. it's not emerging from us in any way 
Right. Um, it's sort of descending down to us or being given yeah. to us from the outside. It is telling us what love ultimately is and which has a habit of working backwards through this book of revising, even without us being aware of it, our understanding of the others saying, oh, that's why Storge is good. Oh, that's why Philia is good. That's why Eros is good. Mm. Oh, wow. To be, you know, to have this openness, this um, this openness of self, the open, the and the open offering of the self that that he says qualifies love ultimately, is oh yeah, that's why Storge feels so warm is because mm. I can actually like lay down my armor and kick up my feet and be at rest and be vulnerable in front of the hearth place. Mm-hmm. Oh wow, that's actually what makes it possible for me to stand next to a person and not see them as an adversary but as an ally. Oh wow, that's what gives me the ability in Eros to offer myself as a gift to the other. Uh, it's because all of these things are sort of haunted by agape in the in a good way. They're mm-hmm. sort of inspired by it, and they're, they become sort of metaphors for it. He says, a heart first swept clean of the hearth gods, or loves, mm-hmm. is open and empty for any foul thing. I think of Jesus' story about right. the man who has demon cast <laughs> out of him, and yeah. then it's there's nothing there, and so then a bunch of other demons are yeah. like, uh, we got an empty house, let's move back in, no. and he's worse off than before. And so in this sense, to, to sort of try to write all the things or do battle against the dangers of Mm -hmm. various loves. We talked in our previous episode about Eros in particular, often gets queued up for the culture war, for the praise or blame of all things, right? Right. Um, And Lewis said, you know, about Eros that when it is no longer a demon or a god, then it has its proper place. And when he gets to Agape, he talks about agape being the thing that the, the love of the true God that comes in and then the hearth gods can remain and find their order in their place. They, they're not even necessarily banished, right? No, they're, 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 they're actually just submitted to... They serve. They serve. They serve the divine love. Mm-hmm. They serve agape. They serve the true God. As you said, agape is who God is in himself as the triune God, right? And so when agape is at the center or is given to a person, right? This is what salvation is, right? right. When, when God's love in Christ is given to a person who receives that love, the other gods of love, the, the, these other sort of vying for our attention, our time, our, our risks, our hopes, all these things, they're able to not just be banished, but they're able to find their place around that right. hearth, almost around that table, around that sort of divine presence, and they have their appropriate place. They are no longer demons or gods. They are no longer the cause of all our woe or the goal of all our being, right? Yeah. They're, the other loves, when they are seated uh, at agape's table uh, they they are they don't threaten to become the demon that that lewis you know that that lewis constantly warns about in the other things uh in the other in the other chapters of this book um they yeah they're ordered toward their ultimate their ultimate end their author and their finisher what's so beautiful about this i remember when you gave a talk i don't know if it was a no, i'm trying to remember what holiday it was um you're given a talk and one of the students had asked a question about about these pagan holidays that you know Christians supposedly sort of like you know look both ways and then sort of stole yeah. and tried to make Christian you know whatever and you were like yeah well that's that's what Christianity does right yeah. like that's what God does is he takes all things right his creation was good mm-hmm. um, so anything that has being or existence has some modicum of that goodness because it exists mm-hmm. at all um, and so then to Christianize something is is to is to bring it back to the table, is to put it in its place around the hearth fire where it no longer needs to function as salvation or as the idol in the in the room. It can simply be a beautiful time of festivity, yeah. an enjoyment of creation, of fecundity, of whatever it may be that we were celebrating because it's not the goal itself. It now is in its proper place. But I, I, what I loved about your response to that student's question was you were you were giving a vision of Christianity in which it isn't a cluster of people in the corner trying to protect orthodoxy from the big bad world, um, but it was something that was always bigger and was sort of swallowing the world whole and making it making each feature of that world more beautiful. Yeah, and that seems to be what agape is all about. Yeah, I mean, if if Genesis 
as we believe it does. And it speaks truly of the human condition that we are made in the likeness as icons of God um, to participate in the life of God and to, to share that life among the brethren. And if it's true, you know, as Augustine says that, you know, that God has made us for himself, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in him. Uh, then, you know, when I meet another person, um, I, I, my, one of my first questions ought to be, um, you know, where is your restless heart pointed right now? Where is your restless heart? Because it belongs pointed towards God who alone can, can fulfill it. But you're doing that in some way already. And the way you're doing it is probably not devoid entirely of that. Of, 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 you know, you're, you're probably not pointed in, in the complete opposite direction. I don't, it doesn't seem like an all or nothing thing. And Christianity has always been like, let's find where this is slightly off track. Let's mm-hmm. find where this is even majorly off track and point it to the thing that it's already inclining toward, um, but, but has failed to arrive at because of its, in, its own inadequacy or insufficiency. So it's, it's not a question of, you know, again, of, of, of hiding in the corner. It's a question of, wow, you have this impulse. And ultimately that impulse is leading you back, is want, wants to lead you back to God, but has gone astray in a significant way. So let's find where that gone, going astray is and let's, let's redeem, you know, it redeems those things. And so, you know, and so, and I think that's the case with all the loves in this book is, you know, any of them left to themselves will become a, ter- a terror um, and will, and ultimately a source of despair. Mm. Agape re- reveals that all these natural loves are actually participants in a sort of choreographed dance mm-hmm. that, that, that lead, that wants to lead us back to God, that one mm-hmm. that wants to, that, that is really what it means to live with God to live in God. And so important that you point that out because even if we've been listening to these, you know, spaced out, it's good to remember that for the, each of the three, there was a point in Lewis's treatment, usually around three quarters, almost four fifths of his essay on that love in which he describes what happens when it goes bad. Right. Right. When, when Storge goes bad, it becomes, it becomes someone can't change because now they're familiar to me in this way. And how dare they, who do they think they are trying to change who they are when I've come to expect and rely on them being just this way. Mm -hmm. Right. Familiarity, breeds contempt or whatever right and then when it came to philia you know he described friendships in which everything becomes a form of tribalism us versus them i'm so in with my in group whether it's a gang of thieves or otherwise it becomes something hostile and potentially destructive certainly um it, it creates animus between us and them and then with the third one, we talked at some length about the way that Eros can wreak havoc on a person's life, right. whether in carnality or in fantasy. But now when we get to Agape, there isn't that, well, when Agape goes wrong, right? Like this is, this is a really important point that this is what orders the rest and redeems the rest. It is love redeemed. It is, right. it is what that is in its purity. The question then would be for me, Okay, for someone who doesn't know this love or maybe doesn't realize this love but would ache for it to be true that you could have have it all in its appropriate way um, and have this, what's the unconditional love of God, this free gift love of the Trinity, this is literally what it means to hear the gospel, to right. realize that you've been given the gift and the offer of salvation and that everything could be different and everything could be caught up and, as you say, directed. Every impulse, every ache, every desire, um, even every sort of foul experience could be ultimately redeemed and redirected to, to God in this way and through mm-hmm. this love. But what about the Christian who is used to this language? Who, mm-hmm. who, you know, we have uh, schools named Agape, right? We have, we, right. It, there's a branding for Agape. There's all sorts of things where Agape, because it's such a potent Christian uh, word, it's almost, it's our word, right? And almost, it's like, you know, we're, we become very aware, well, this is like, you know, this is the Christian word. This is the Christian love. It's the special one that we get. Um, but because of that, sometimes it becomes its own strangely impotent familiar, right? Where, <laughs> where, you know, you, you, oh, you say it way. so often, you hear it so often. Right. You name clubs after it, you, whatever it is. Um, oftentimes it feels like we're inoculated or protected from what it might actually do or mean. Mm-hmm. If Lewis is indicating that by saying, 
it is in a full and absolute vulnerability because it is the one love not on our terms at all. Right. Um, and so, so it is the one that requires the annihilation of the former things, right? The death of the self. The <laughs> so many things that we would not, even in especially Christianese or Christian yeah. land or polite Christianity, um, would not so loudly sort of like even say or advocate if we realized what it was actually requiring or, or what it brought with it. Do you think that's yeah, fair? I think, I think that is fair. I think it's a, I think a way of saying it is that it's a constant challenge. Okay. Um, it challenges everything always and must always. So agape is unique among the four because it's uncreated um, because it is, it is the life that God knows in himself, God, the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are eternally, without beginning or end, always for the others and without losing who each of them are. The Father gives all that the Father has to the Son through the Spirit, and the Son offers every, submits all things back to the Father through the Spirit. The Spirit is the fellowship and love between the Father and the Son, and and constantly serves that the and is constantly serving the love between the two and is the love between the two the fellowship and the unity of the of the father and the son all of them are always for the others in the trinity and do not lose themselves in the process so much so that they are one and yet three mm. three without but 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 are not d- divided or divisible so Agape is what what that is, right? So that's a, that's a thing we could you know spend you know, billions of years thinking about, and 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 will you know as far and as will. we can tell, um, and, and so just kind of staring at that. Yeah. Um, so just to s- summarize that 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 is what we that is who as Christians we believe God is, that is God, uh, He is God, the God the Trinity, three in one. Uh, that's agape, and so that being an uh, you know a limit an, uh, when we say unconditional means that it is defined only by God's own self-defining. It is, it is, no one creates God. No one gives God the terms of his own existence. God is who God is and has always been and will always be. And the life of God, which is what agape really is, that is unconditional because God is unconditional in that way. So whatever the properties of that thing are, that's what agape is when it, when it is given to us <laughs> startlingly um, and must always startle. So there's a couple ways I think that are helpful to think about this. One is for Christians for whom the word agape and the, the word like God's love um, is thrown about in a, a lot of different ways. Some are helpful, some are very much not. Um, there's a couple of maybe tensions that I think help us to keep a healthy perspective on it. One of them is this. Um, Agape is always concerned with nearness and always concerned with transcendence. Mm. And another way of saying that, the second tension would be that agape is always a comfort and agape is always a demand. Mm. So in the first one, uh, agape, you know, threatens if we're not careful to, to obliterate everything that isn't it, right? It's like, okay, this is the ultimate love. All other loves must be completely eradicated <laughs> to serve this love. And that would be true if agape hadn't come down among us and not done that. Mm. So if we want to aspire to agape, we are aspiring to all that agape is, which means all that agape has shown it to be itself to be himself to be so love comes down becomes takes on flesh and and dwells among us the like you know and and god comes among us and doesn't eradicate everything except himself because he created all things all these things that are not himself god creates a world that is not him that is other than him and yet communes with it Right. right So agape can't mean the eradication of everything. It has to give us a concern for the things that are near, not just the things that are far away, not just the things that are just God. Um, because God did not do that. God mm. created and then redeemed and is now, and is now bringing to perfection mm. and renewal all things. And so we can't, we can't be the kind of, um, like, you know, the, the kind of Christian that eradicates the meaningfulness of all things that aren't God because God didn't even do that. Well, Hayden, I don't know if you know this, but the world you know, is going to hell and I'm going to be raptured out of here. So, you know, isn't that, <laughs> isn't that the plan? We're, we're going <laughs> Good here. Good luck, everybody. We're, we're, we're going here. <laughs> yeah, we're going here, be, and I guess, because, you know, that is not how Christ seems to think about things um, because he's coming back 
And he's coming back to renew and redeem and to resurrect, not to eradicate. Um, the way of things will be rolled up. The way of things, the, the broken manner of all things will be healed and renewed and resurrected. But this idea that has crept into some Christian thought that um, that God's plan is for us to exist in an ethereal sphere while he eradicates the cosmos is plainly wrong and not biblical. Um, God is about the redemption of the creation. The creation believes that it is participating in that redemption. Groans See Romans 8. For its fullness, yeah. yeah, and it groans for its fullness, of which we are the first fruits. Right. Um, and so that's one thing that the nearness of things is never eradicated by agape, but it's never left to, to its own devices either. It is always, it's always put in relational tension with the things that are other than it to, to, to God, the life of God, the life that God knows within himself into which we are invited. And so it is, it never allows us to eradicate creation or the things of the world or the, or the natural loves that are a part of that world. But it ne- also never allows us to just see them as ends in and of themselves. We mm. always they always have an end beyond themselves, back in the life of God, in the in the in the heart of the Trinity, um, to which everything is called back to part to commune and p- to participate with. Um, and so God creates the world not to let itself, not to just sort of let it, you know, spin off by itself. The great ancient sort of uh, the, the the deistic model of of, of theology, right? It, God is intimately communing with. There's a one story universe, mm. you know, there's not the God stuff up in the attic and then the rest of it down here on right. the bottom floor, the ground floor, there's a one story cosmos and God and every God, you know, God is with and for his creation, but is not his creation at the same time. So there's that tension. Um, so nearness and farness are maintained in agape. Agape is the, is the unifying love between the things that are created and uncreated, the near and the far. Then you have uh, the near and the other, I'll say. Uh, then you have the other one, the comfort and demand. This is our experience of agape, mm, I think. Right. right. On the one hand, agape comes to us and draws near to us in a, in a, um, in a comforting and in a, re- in, a, in a healing and in a, in a sort of a, a properly um, like uh, just a, I don't even know. There's not like words break down to even describe it. It's, a, it's an embrace. Agape is the embracing love of God, and it is also the challenging love of God mm. because the embrace doesn't allow us to sit in whatever sort of uh, brokenness it finds us in. It is the love that will come and find us and and embrace us, broken as we are, and yet will call us beyond that brokenness into wholeness always, into that other thing that is beyond and better the thing that we think is possible for ourselves. Mm. And so again, that, that in our experience of it, it's that which draws near and that which calls us beyond at the same time. When um, I was reading one of your reflections, you, you post uh, fairly frequently, or at least fairly regularly, um, at St. Matt's um, website, um, sort of devotional reflections. And I was really taken with the one that you had written on the prodigal son. Hmm. And you had described... Um, I think being 18. Yes. At, at the hermitage in uh, looking at Rembrandt's prodigal son. Where in St. Petersburg, in St. Petersburg. Yeah. 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 Um, and that you had this opportunity to see the sort of the original of Rembrandt's, uh, prodigal son. And I remember you describing sort of the immensity of the canvas. A lot of times, you know, the Mona Lisa is like a small one, yeah. right? It surprises us with its smallness, but you don't was, really know <laughs> the proportion of fame, these famous works in like, right. a, unless you're looking it up or something, unless you see them. And some of them are just extraordinarily immense. So you describe in your reflection on this painting and on the story, um, the, the immensity of this canvas, of this depiction of the prodigal son being received back to the father. In this reflection, though, it seems to me you capture a lot of the tensions you just described, mm-hmm. um, nearness and farness and uh, the comfort, but also the, the surprising demand. Now, what's interesting is you, you make you make much of the prodigal son when he's reached his limit, reached his end in the story, when he has gone to the far country, right? Uh, trying to escape the father uh, in so many ways, trying to mm-hmm. make a name for himself, yeah. shall we say. To um, be something other than the father's son. That's right. 
to yeah. find an identity outside of the father that he can create with his own effort. Um, he goes to the far country and, and as, as always happens, um, that identity is not easily made or easily sustained or worth much at all uh, in, in, either, in either way. And so it collapses. He ends up um, fairly destitute, starving to death, um, feeding pigs um, in a slop uh, and being envious of their food. Hmm. He realizes that anything is better than this and, and certainly that anything includes uh, being in his father's house as a servant. And so he comes up with a plan. Uh, a plan of return, and uh, and it involves some sense of contrition, right? Like some sense of embarrassment, of like hum- I messed up, humiliation. Like, hey, I can't uh, be a yeah, son again, again, is, but I can be is, a servant. But I could be yeah. a servant. Anything, uh, a, a servant in my father's house is better treated than anything I'm experiencing now. But it's still fairly a calculation of some kind, right? Like, you know what? I would be eating better if. I was a servant in my father's house. So I'm going to need to really sort of swallow my pride and just make sure, you know, like, so he practices a speech on his way back home. Right. Mm -hmm. And you lean into that in a way that I found really helpful. Um, because a lot of times you think of the prodigal son, this is the story of salvation. Um, you know, you, you finally hit rock bottom, you know, you realize you got a, I don't know, a drug problem or you, you know, you lose all your money or you do whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just recognizable to even yourself that the life you're trying to build has collapsed. Right. And so now you're ready to be saved by Jesus. And it's like, okay, now finally you're ready to give up and let Jesus sort of like, you know, carry you back to his house and, and you can be a servant there. Um, and so he's got this, but but you make this point that this is his script, and he literally is practicing and rehearsing it. And so in that sense, it doesn't seem like it quite fits what Lewis was describing when he said this kind of absolute vulnerability, because he's still very much um, trying to script it, <laughs> script the encounter, not just the words. Scripted salvation. Script his location in the, in the father's home. So he is scripting his salvation. Uh, it's almost like he's heard how this might go, and when you hit rock bottom, you know, then yeah. you can be saved, you know. Yeah. Um, and yet, it is being something that he is sort of making and trying to yeah. to plan or prepare for. Um, and that is not agape. I mean, I'm I'm so interested in how we could get so close, especially uh, maybe as Christians or in a Christian or a post-Christian sort of cultural haunting, whatever one would describe our our little Western corner of things as. Um, how we can continue to be comfortably Christian, hmm. still have this form of Christianity or even salvation without what you described and what Lewis says is sort of vulnerability, what you described as the command or the sort of like the scarier side of agape, which is you are not in control yeah. and you cannot experience this even in trying to script the surrender thing that you're trying to script or whatever. You don't get to tell God what it's going to look like to be saved. Right. Um, and so the prodigal son is still trying to do the script, and the father is is waiting, he's looking every day, it seems like, because the one time he actually is returning, the father is out looking, uh, implies that he is often looking, searching, seeking, whatever it may be, runs to him famously, and this is an emotional thing, and we can preach this in the church, and people are like, oh, the father runs to us, and all this kind of stuff. But it's really crucial that as the young man begins to deploy the script of his own salvation, right. the father interrupts, really just runs completely roughshod over the whole. Doesn't acknowledge it at all. <laughs> Doesn't acknowledge it at all. Yeah, like, and, and, and again, you know, we are taken up in the moment, but yeah, that's an important part of the story where there's, there's the, father's, the, the father's words, right? What he has to say completely, yeah, it tramples almost the prodigal son's script. And which is why you know when I titled that blog, it was the it was the the, the returns of the, the returns. prodigal son, because he has he has the return that he has scripted, right. and then there's the return the father wills to give him. And that idea that we can almost understand a form of salvation that still very much works for us, mm-hmm. right? Like we're sort of in trouble, we're destitute, and this gets us a better life. 
right? Like this turns things around and, you know, we're going to eat pretty well. And, you know, like Jesus is sort of, you know, for us. And so this sounds like a, it sounds like a reasonable thing to do. But there isn't anything reasonable about the unconditional, unbound, uh, and and completely demanding nature of agape. Right. Um, it is not salvation on our terms. And that's where I think it, it, we in, in Christian circles or in Christian culture or whatever it is, um, we have this polite form of Christianity in which we are comfortable with the amount that we have chosen to sacrifice, the way in which we've chosen to be generous, we might say, um, the way in which we've chosen to serve, the way in which we've chosen to attend, the way in which we've chosen to befriend, the way. But it, it is such a Christianity according to our own script so often and i exhort myself i'm I'm not saying oh those people over there no i'm saying like there there is a polite christianity that is dead that is that is doing this in some way right yeah that is not it is not infused with the love of god in in that sort of reckless and demanding and overwhelming sense um because i can just see how managed it is how easy it is to program it at our churches or try to design right. it or or create moments in which we're all going to experience it because we've set everything up and the music is playing you know and and scripted right scripted in in that <laughs> sense right of of being very much something that we are up to in the kitchen you know <laughs> right well i mean that's the that's the gospel i mean and that's that's the the fullness of the gospel that we always have to remember the gospel is is the good news. Uh, it is It is a proclamation. Uh, the proclamation, though, for as much as it's a proclamation of the kingdom that has been, that is, that is coming, uh, that it will renew and redeem, it is also a proclamation of doom to all things that uh, don't want that yeah. and, and refuse that and say no to that. Um, that's, 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 those are, those are one and the same thing. And agape is the is the life of the kingdom it is the life of of the kingdom of god proclaimed by the gospel which means that in each of us um there is a to for agape, agape is both at the same time a an, an indescribable relief that oh my goodness i'm really glad to know that i can be rescued from all all the ways i know that i i'm going to end up you know failing to self-make Mm. Um, which is again, I think the prodigal son's fundamental error is an error of the illusion of self-making. I'm going to make myself elsewhere. Now, of course, there's an irony immediately in the story of the prodigal son because he he takes the father's stuff, right. and I'm going to go self-make now. Right. It's like With it's this, like the, this inheritance. Yeah, the the, the kid who yeah. you know who wants to radically self-define their room in their parents' house, <laughs> being like, "This is my space," and it's like, <laughs> okay, but you're using yeah, yeah. And so it's it's there's an irony in that, sure. and it's not it's not lost on the prodigal that that you know there's, he reaches the end of his ability to self-make. And, and, you know, and that's, that's the point where I think repentance really, be, really does begin to be turned back. Um, it, it happens at the, it can happen at the moment when we, when we reach the, 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 the sort of the emptiness, the, the, the witheredness of our ambitions to self-make. And agape is always the proclamation that we are not self-making. We are made, you know, we are made. Um, God is, is, is self-defining and, and self-making alone. Um, that's why he's unconditional, and his love is unconditional because it is because it it it, it is the life of that self-making God, and but we are made. You know, everything we have is downstream from that, and so we receive everything about our life is given, even the stuff that we have a limited ability of sort <laughs> of of editorial control. Um, we, which we do really have, our choices are meaningful, mm-hmm. but at the same time, the world and the atmosphere and the milieu in which all those choices take place is largely given, and a lot of and a lot of life is just hand, is just delivered to us, um, and we do do and we we have we do with what we are, we our job is to do well with what we've been given, but agape is a proclamation of doom on our self making, which I think right now agape may be the most horrific thought to a self-making any any moment in time that is uniquely 
uh, ambitious to self-make. Uniquely ambitious, uniquely professionalized, uniquely mm-hmm. entrepreneurial, right. right? Like everyone is going to create and make a, a business or, or we got you know 10 different hustles going to try to pay the bill, whatever it is, but yeah. we're always being exhorted to think of ourselves in terms of branding, think of ourselves in terms of efficiency, how are you spending your time, what can you maximize, optimize, things that Laura and I have talked about several episodes now. Um, but yeah, this culture is obsessed with self-creation right. um, and self-maximization and self-optimization, right. all of those terms. And, and for as much as there is a scripted self of the optimized self, the optimizable self, right? There's also, I think, what we're hitting on in the Christian world, there's a false, a falsely saved scripted self yeah. uh, that also emerges grotesquely in, in, in Christian circles, which is... Um, it, it, it is like I am the sort of objectified, commodified, like vulnerable self. Like I'm just who I am. And like the whole, the, like I'm just someone who is known or I am someone who wants to be known or it, and it's, but again, it's that prodigal son. It's a, it's a curated uh, contrition. Mm. It's I'm on my knees, but on my knees on my own, ter- on the terms right. that I have defined and set forth and that I will continue to set forth. Right. Um, the, the, the sort of, the honesty and the and the openness that agape continually calls us uh, into calls us beyond that moment and and in a startling way it, it we we realize oh no actual surrender is is much more uh, is going to be much more uncomfortable than even this sort of like settled this the settlement the compromise position mm-hmm. that i that i'm willing to put on the table when i'm negotiating this it's like this is an un, it's a sort of an, an unnegotiated surrender here right. And I would put, you know, we must put ourselves at the center because we are uh, the first in danger of, you know, professionalizing right. agape, right? We are, we are, you know, liturgically, you know, bound to certain things and forms and we are the conductors of much mm-hmm. of these scripts in certain ways and could very easily, I mean, this is why Jesus's warning is so direct and so intense toward the religious class, right? The, the, right. the pharisaical class. They are not unscrupulous about the things of God or the text or whatever the case may be. They are obsessively scrupulous about the script of right. how things must be. Um, they are absolutely fighting their culture war. They are absolutely making sure to teach more of the scripture and more of the text and memorize more things. Um, and so for you and I, you know, in an era, I'm, I'm sure this is literally every era, but it's obvious to us in our time, um, when we see the, the sort of the pastors who don't make it, when we see the platforming or the branding of ministry into something very much commodifiable, very much success-oriented, attractional, church growth-driven, whatever it may be, right? All the things. This is, this is why the professional religious class is in the first seat of danger, right? When it comes to scripting or comfortably managing the things we're talking about, because in part, we're called to stand before other people and continually declare things which are not fully accomplished in us in any way, but you could get used to directing that elsewhere and then speaking it well, it. yeah, and, and, then, and having it be something that's ultimately deflected from your own heart. Exactly. You know, it begins always there, um, you know, and but it, it's always, I think that the, the word tension is important in that because I think it is when, when I've, when I, the, the complacency that develops, because complacency is really a function of scriptedness. Mm. I can fall into a rote right. pattern only where there is a rote pattern, right. and which is a script. And so I think that, you know, one of the things that we've talked about, I think, with a with a Christian sense of the church year that we'll draw out as we as we keep talking about that is, is you know, the different seasons of of the church year are scripted, but they're scripted in a way to make life a little bit hard for everybody at least once a year. Um, and 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 so if you're if you have a tendency toward to, towards being comfortable and like living in the comfort of the gospel, you'll have Advent and Lent come along and will afflict that sense of comfort. Right. But on the other hand, if, you know, as I, and I do know people like this, if you're a person that tends to um, negotiate their life by living in the afflicted script of the, like, I'm terrible, 
I'm like, I'm hyper scrupulous. I'm a, I'm a miserable little worm. You know, I'm being strung on a, on a thread mm. over the hell, over hellfire. Um, you know, you have Christmas and Easter come along and say, Hey, God loves you. God is a good God <laughs> and, he, and he loves you very much. Really and it's just okay. like, and I, I actually, <laughs> I actually have, I actually know people yeah. that for whom like the, the, the rigors of Lent are vastly preferable and comfortable to the, yeah. to the, to the, to re- the redemption of Easter wow. to say, yeah, totally. Hey, Easter, Easter's coming and it's not a reward for your, your intense self, you know, self-flagellation. <laughs> it's actually just a gift. And, and it's, it's harder for them to bear that. Yeah. And they are afflicted by that news yeah. much more than the idea of like, Hey, you're going to die. Get your soul, get your, get yeah. your affairs in order. Yeah. And it's just like, uh, you know, most people are like, Oh no. And then that person's like, yeah, I dig yeah, that, you yeah. know? <laughs> and I, totally. and I, but, but I think that in our hearts all the time, the reason why we script that through the year is because that needs to be the condition of every moment, ideally. Right. Right. In every moment, I need to be met by the embrace of love that will not will not let me go, and also to be challenged by that love beyond the script, whatever it is that moment. Right. You know. Yeah, and I, I think in in on my side of the 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 <clears throat> fence or the more maybe charismatic tradition, you know, it is that that the church service is this emotional experience mm-hmm. of absolute contrition and absolute redemption and then the rest of the week is just sort of like whatever right <laughs> yeah because because i know my sunday's coming and i'm going to be able to vent my spleen for all that the week was or wasn't right. and i'm going to be able to weep and be saved all over again i don't need to bear that tension during the week of actually right. living a christian life or obeying certain commands right. of christ i can just know that there is a confessional moment in a dramatic song that's going to be played you know again and again and again with a praise chorus that will last forever until i feel sufficiently opened up that's right but there's there's a value in that right for the person that has a kind of uh, a certain kind of script there's a there's a person saying like no vent your spleen today Mm. like you're you're cut you're like you're comfy in this sort of rationalized clean you know sort of like like thought world of christianity like yeah for that person i might say like yeah you need to like get on your face and vent your spleen like and getting on your face is important for that but then i'll also have the have the other person right you know and i think you know in our in in the anglican tradition we have we still retain the practice of confession like a like an auricular confession yeah and i like one of the startling things about that as i put in that blog was uh was it ends you know, and so conf- that kind of confession is useful for a person who, who has a tendency to get into the moment you were just describing, but never have a moment when it's like, all right, your, your sins are forgiven. Right. For someone to actually say in a human voice in a moment when you've just poured out all the things you're ashamed of, to say, the Lord has forg- put away all your sins, go your way in peace and yeah. pray for me as well. Yeah. Like there's a, there's a, there's a startling sense of, finality to that that challenges the script of the i'm a perpetual i like no matter how sorry i am i can never be forgiven and that's a good thing for them you know it it reminds me of the the gathering or the garrison demoniac you know it's like he comes freaking out flying to jesus filled with demons all sorts of stuff and you know just been absolutely impossible to be around others and all these things and Jesus's, you know, expulsion of the demons and the salvation moment in his life is that he's calm and in his mm-hmm. right mind. And then what always surprised me is Jesus just leaves. And he's <laughs> like, all right, Godspeed, like, you'll be fine. Yeah, you're going to be okay. um, You're going to stay here. And, you know, like, he's like, let me get in the boat. And he's like, no, no, you'll be fine. Like, you just go and live a, live a calm, reasonable, you know, like, yeah. just, just bear witness. And... You're like, oh man, like that is quite a uh, a come down from the drama that we just, right. you know, that the that the goal here is calm and in his right mind, mm-hmm. uh, reintegrate with society, uh, maybe uh, have a family, you know, like like get on with the business of ordinary yeah. life, uh, and that is the most spiritual thing he can do. Right. right? Where, whereas, like on the other hand, thing. you have uh, like a like on the <laughs> on the flip side of the script, you have like Nicodemus in John three who comes with a perfectly polished religious rhetoric, right? <laughs> Saying like, teacher, we know that, you know, you do we signs know. in the name of God and all this we stuff. And, and Christ provokes <laughs> him the entire conversation yeah. to the point when Nicodemus in the text is in a frenzy. He provokes him to a frenzy because for Nicodemus to get actually to the point of like, well, 
what are we like how is this how I can these things be i can't even <laughs> comprehend this like you're like you're talking nonsense like i'm so like like that's the point at which at which nicodemus is off script enough right. to actually experience salvation yeah. the gather the, the garrison he, he needs to he need, like there's he needs to come the opposite way he's in a frenzy right. needs to be brought to a place of stillness but Nicodemus is way too still. He's too, <laughs> He's too still. He's too good. <laughs> he needs to get a too little calm. bit riled up before yeah. before it's a, it's a thing for him. And I love that. You know, I mean, we've talked in a previous episode also about um, sort of I don't know the enneagram and spiritual sort of tests and things like that. Mm-hmm. And but one of the dangers of those is that it, it would encourage you to map you on whatever we're talking about right now and say, oh yeah, I'm I'm a Nicodemus type or I'm this type or whatever. Yeah. And the whole beauty grace and terror of salvation is that god knows yeah and god in his precision knows where you'll be maybe from moment to moment day to day season to season and it isn't for you to say well god i'm sort of a four and i'm sort of an eight you know and so i'm yeah. i'm always going to be whatever i need to get fed in these ways yeah this is so my you, particular you need to, spiritual you need to diet meet me yeah. by calming the frenzy <laughs> um it's like that that self-diagnosis is another form mm-hmm. of scripting it's scripting right and and so we want to be really careful that we don't just hear how this works and then position ourselves mm-hmm. yet again in either place that we right. think we need because only god knows what we actually need only god can describe and then prescribe and be um the sort of the balance or the tension and know from again from moment to moment i may i, I think i don't know who says this if it's Lewis in some place it usually is um but you know the 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 line between the the mystic and the rationalist is 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 very paper thin oh yeah it it is often the people who who push so far on the rational that are suddenly radically open to any sort of mystical thing in a way that you would never have expected um and so the idea that we would know ourselves or that we would be uh prepared to think that we know ourselves well enough to even describe how God must approach us or or what the Father's love will look like is just back to that same yeah. rehearsal moment of, okay, uh, I am no longer fit to be called your son. Um, like, it's a positioning, right? And there is something, I think, just unbelievably liberating in someone who grew up maybe in the church or knows this word or knows these stories to say, I don't know how to be saved. Even if I, I've heard all of these things and I maybe believe them to be true, I still need to be saved. I still need right. to receive. It's a pure gift, an un, undoing, un, you know, unscripted, uncontrolled, unmanaged, complete vulnerability mm-hmm. to, to truly receiving the gospel, truly receiving Christ's love, this agape love right. for me. Um, and then what's so remarkable is this is not just the love that God gives to us, but then because of this infusion, I mean, this completely mm-hmm. outside me, now into my very self being desires, um, we are able by the mercies of God to give this kind of love to one another. Right. So that turn is, is huge because a lot of times the salvation moment can be very private, can be very me, um, but then the possibilities of therefore go and sin no more, of going and living a holy life in agape uh, demonstrating giving agape to right. others suddenly becomes the charge and possibility of of this this salvation we've received that's right and it's so the story's not done right oh, no. at that point because even though it, we it, has, it works backward again right right into right. all those all those other loves right and the character of the love that uh, of, within the church is agape but it is agape that is becomes known in storge in philia in eros in these relations that are now made more than what they can of themselves be and become because they've been gifted with this life beyond all things, this life beyond creation, this uncreated life of God has now been infused in these people who are now carrying out their relations as something and someone completely different than what they were before that. But with an ordinary life, right? right? It doesn't bring you, pull you out of the responsibilities and relationships. It is back to where maybe we started. It is the hearth or the table around which all these other loves, all these other practices, all these other relations uh, find their place and then make, make a 
what is the language of uh, Thessalonians, right? Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, right? Like the, yeah. the quietness of a life that is ordered around the love of God means that very little is expelled. Lewis at one point in, in this essay on Agape will say, um, you need to be willing to renounce natural loves, but what you'll discover is hmm. those loves end up just submitted to and surrendered and find right. their, their second or third place around uh, you know, the love of God. So you, that tension is opened up, but it doesn't make for a life that's unlivable because this right. love was so other it suddenly, as you say, makes all of these other things, these ordinary things, more familiar loves maybe, um, find their place and, and makes beautiful what maybe was plain, taken for granted, um, makes redeemed things that people may have given up on in their relations with one another. A lot of times it can be like, yeah, I get that God is absolutely, you know, other and that that's the experience of God is going to, it's going to pull me into this incredible thing you're talking about. Um, but so often we don't realize that it precisely sends us back as the gathering demoniac, once he is uh, saved, is sent back to his polis, his the Decapolis, the, mm -hmm. the, the place where he lives, the place where he lived before. Um, he lost his way, right? Um, the father's house is not the end. It's the beginning of the prodigal son's life, right? right? <laughs> the party yeah. is, the, is the welcome <clears throat> in to this new life, this new world. Um, and so salvation then becomes something, uh, Pastor John would often say, we are being saved, Right, we are being saved, and we we usually think of it as a singularity, no, um, but we are, we are being, being saved. saved. This is this process. That's the language of the scriptures. Yeah, yeah, we are being saved. It is a it is an eternal life that has begun yeah. now, but is not fulfilled, is not complete, is not done because of a moment's confession. No, it meets us in every moment, but from every moment calls us into the thing that we are we're destined for, the thing that we are we are pointed toward. And to think that agape makes. Um, possible the redemption of all these other kinds of love I mean it, just the practical way that that looks um, again I, I, I think of uh, well now I think of an example from Corey Ten Boom's mm. sort of story I don't know if it's in the hiding place or it's the epilogue but it's famous maybe if you've heard this before but she describes you know Corey Ten Boom's story is amazing I, I, I hope you will read the hiding place um, she goes through um, an unimaginable moment in in our our recent history, World War II, um, trying to keep um, Jewish people in her neighborhood safe um, from Nazis, and ultimately getting arrested, taken to um, taken to a camp. Um, her sister dies in that camp, and she survives by the miracles of God. Um, and there are some very clear miracles that happen, but she is able to survive. And then in the post-World War II moment, she goes around talking about forgiveness, reconciliation, these kinds of things. And, and she tells a story of being at one of these speaking engagements she has. And that afterward, you know, people approach her and, you know, it's very powerful. It's very emotional. It's very intense, you know, and she's trying to bring healing and trying to bring, you know, I mean, Europe, you know, the world is like in a place of its deepest trauma. Uh, and she's trying to, to bring this sort of love of God and the good news of, of Christ into this place. And then she's confronted with um, the smiling face of one of the guards in the camp who tortured and, and was ultimately very much culpable for the for the death of her own sister and so many others and he's heard her talk and he's so oh, he doesn't know that he knows her in this way um but he's heard all this wonderful stuff about agape and about forgiveness and about this radical love of god and he's just relieved and he's just like wants to shake your hand and just say thank you so much for you know giving hope you know to, to people like me you know who are on the wrong side of all these things and you know what an incredible thing that you're doing I really appreciate it and she recognizes him as he's talking and she recognizes who he is and she says um you know she, her body won't move you know she's she's traumatized she's she's paralyzed um with this this face um and and in this moment, what must have been a second, two seconds, whatever it is, she has this conversation with the Lord, which more or less seems to be, I can't do this. I can't love him. I can't forgive him. I can tell him about agape. I can't 
do this. I don't have this in me. And she, in that moment, as she's looking at his face and his arm is like extended to her, um, she asks the Lord not to conjure it in her, but to give her the love he has for this man. And to, to just give whatever love the Lord has, give it to her so she can give it to him. Um, and she, she names it that way. And then in the moment that she makes, says that prayer in her heart, um, she finds her arm raising to meet his and to shake his hand. And, you know, that moment is so intense for so many reasons. And yet that is, it was, that has been one of the most helpful images, just distinctions. This is not from me. This is not something I, this is not native to, I was raised in the church. This is not native to, I believe and think all the right things and, and go, you know, and consider myself, you know, a Christian and, and maybe a preacher and all these. This is something I have to receive directly daily from the Lord, or I have nothing to give anyone at all, except my normal reactions of frustration, resentment, terror, trauma, whatever it is. I mean, that's an extraordinary moment. But I just, that image of her even recognizing, I'm, I, have, I don't have this, this isn't me. And she's confronted with that. And then asking the Lord for the love he has for this man, and that she would just be an instrument, a vessel that can extend that to him has made it so much clearer for me you know because i think growing up christian growing up comfortable with the language of salvation of agape of the gospel you think you just sort of naturally you sort of become naturally just <laughs> able you know there's just a resources a well of love that just sort of becomes native to you and yet there are moments in real life as a christian in which you realize Oh no, that was a script. I <laughs> I might have told myself that, but I feel nothing but impatience right now. I feel nothing but frustration right now. I feel nothing but hostility right now. Yeah. I need whatever that is or I cannot love anyone in that way. Right. Um I need God right now here. Um or I have nothing to give. Even the people I may love most or need most to offer that to. Um, that that emptiness in and of myself, even naming myself a Christian and all these things, of realizing, oh man, if I lean on the script of my Christianity or of my salvation and not on the direct presence of the love of God, the need for that love on any given moment or any given day, um, I will have nothing to give. I will not be able to shake that person's hand. I mean, that distinction, right, that it, we are so dependent uh, at every moment going forward as we are being saved to have God give us today mm -hmm. this kind of love to give to anybody or else it's not there. Right. It can't just be something we wrote about, read about, thought about, believed about. No. And I think when we get into that moment, even that moment, it's important to realize that even in the place where I come to a sensible awareness of my need for to be saved once more, my need to be saved even more than I previously thought at my at the moment of my conversion, that even there we need to be saved in a way that is more incisive and vulnerable than even we are aware of in that moment too, and that that is where love wants to draw us and meet us. You know, as I was reminded as you were talking of, of, you know, the great George Herbert, right, who writes three main poems to agape, mm -hmm. to love. And in the, the, the ultimate one, he describes that experience, right? He says, you know, he describes the experience of meeting love himself, of agape himself made flesh and having a conversation, you know, where he tries to, like the prodigal script, the encounter, he says... You know, love bade me welcome, but my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. It's a proper phrase, he says. He goes, but quick-eyed love, observing me, draw, grow slack, drew nearer to me, asking if I lacked anything. And he says, it was a guest, Lord, 
willing, like ready, like, uh, like worthy to be here. And mm. love said, you'll be he. And he says, I, the unkind, the ungrateful, let my shame go where it doth deserve. And the, and love, you know, at the, by the end of it draws even nearer, refuses all these sort of scripted interventions for that nearness and says, you must sit down, says love and share this meal that I've had for you to taste my meat. And then the poet and the poem ends, uh, so I did sit and eat. And it's the table. There it is. It's the center of those things. And Herbert was a pastor. Yeah. Finally, I have to just stop talking and sit down. Well, Hayden, thank you for Thank you for talking about something that is difficult <laughs> to talk about. Um, but thank you also for the reminder that, you know, we're, we're never professionally Christian. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> we're always just barely, yeah. barely able, willing, ready to just sit yeah. and receive. We, we never get really good at, at, at this sort of thing. We, 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 always, we always need to surrender what it is we are yeah. and and be so grateful that the one we're surrendering to is 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 love itself love himself thank you for for this conversation thank you for uh, bringing us home as it were to the hearth and to the table um as we have discussed these four loves thank you david that's our time my friends if you would like to support the podcast please do subscribe and rate us on itunes and if you would like even more content and to become a patron of the podcast head on over to from babylonwithlove.com click on newsletter and sign up there until then many thanks to producer zach leach for all the twists and turns and to lonesome and muddy the only house band that'll survive the apocalypse has been from Babylon with love.